Well, good morning, River Glen. Hey, it's great to be with you this morning. Welcome to all of you who are here in the room. Uh, welcome to everyone who's watching online right now or maybe listening to our podcast. My name is Jason, and most weekends you can find me over in Pewaukee, where I get a chance to serve as the campus pastor of what I believe is the greatest campus on the planet. Want to say a huge shout out to all my friends over in Pewaukee this morning. Hope you guys are having a great day. I'll see you again next weekend. Well, we have been in this series for the last few weeks called Let's Talk About It. And we've talked about some pretty difficult things. We've talked about anger, depression, anxiety. Last weekend, Ben did a great job talking about doubt. If you've missed any of these messages, I encourage you to catch up either on our YouTube channel or on our website. Uh, the encouragement and feedback that we've received from you guys has been incredible. So thank you for that. Our goal with this series has not been to fix anybody, but rather just share some encouragement to educate ourselves on these different things and maybe just point the direction into some resources for some help. But if you've heard anything throughout this whole series, I hope you've heard that this is a safe place to talk about difficult things. And I hope you know that around here, it's okay to not be okay. If you're not okay, that just makes you part of the club. Sound good? All right, well, let's get into today. Let's talk about addiction. Now, here's why this topic is so important for every single one of us. Two reasons. First is, chances are you know someone who either has struggled or is struggling with some kind of addiction or obsessive compulsive behavior. Could be a family member or a friend, a son or a daughter, a coworker, a neighbor, right? We all probably know someone who's got something it's starting to get a little out of hand. Now, I can speak a little bit from experience on this one. I was born into a family full of addicts. I've been around addiction my whole life. When I was two years old, a doctor gave my mother less than six months to live because of the intensity of her addictions. Now, by God's grace, she and my dad both eventually found Jesus, and they found freedom through 12-step recovery. But not everyone's found recovery yet. There's a good chance you know someone who's still struggling, whether they know it yet or not, which is key. And it brings me to my next point. Second reason why this is so important for every single one of us is that if you are breathing right now, then unfortunately, you have the capacity to develop an addiction. Could happen to any single one of us. Right? Under the right circumstances, every one of us is susceptible to this. None of us are immune. And that's just because the chemicals in our brains wire us to avoid pain and to seek pleasure. That's not necessarily a bad thing. The problem is those same chemicals are neutral, which means we have the freedom and choice to choose to find pleasure and fulfillment in natural and healthy ways, or we can choose to find fulfillment in unnatural and unhealthy ways. And unfortunately, I can also speak from experience on this one. I struggled with addiction. My addictions caused a tremendous amount of pain for myself and for the people in my life. Back in 2001, I finally had to come clean and admit that I had a problem. I had more than one, actually. And again, by God's grace, I found freedom, and I found Jesus through a recovery program. At the end of that year, I wanted to kind of celebrate God's redemption in my life, and so I got this tattoo put on my knuckles, just as a daily reminder of what God had done for me. Last year, again, by God's grace, I celebrated 20 years clean and sober. Thank you. Thank you for that. But the point is, if addiction can happen to me, it can happen to any single one of us. And so, 
Let's talk about it. What is addiction? I want to tell you a story that might help kind of paint this picture for you. Just out of high school, I bought my first really cool truck. And this just wasn't a really cool truck. This was a really big truck. Do I have any big truck guys in the room? If you drive a big truck, let me hear you grunt. Oh, ah, ooh, yes, my people, yes. This was a 1974 Chevy Suburban. Had a 454 Cadillac engine in it, three-inch exhaust, upgraded tranny and rear end. This was the kind of truck that other trucks moved out of the way for on the highway. Right? I love this thing. So I'm, I'm driving around in my big truck one day, and I look down and I realize I'm almost out of gas. My tank is empty. Real quick, your tank ever be empty? I don't mean your gas tank. I mean you, your soul. You ever just feel empty? Emotionally empty? Relationally empty? How about spiritually empty? Mentally, physically, right? Emptiness happens to all of us, right? You ever get so bad you start to see the dashboard lights start going off, telling you you're almost at your breaking point? You ever get that bad? Right? If you've ever felt pain or emptiness, especially in the last two years, you are not alone. That's a big reason why we're doing this series right now. We've all experienced it. So I'm driving around in my big truck, tank is empty, I find a station, pull in, swipe the card, start filling up. A couple minutes later, the pump does the click thing, and I once again feel the sweet relief of having a full tank of gas. And that's when I realized what I did. I took a second look at the nozzle sticking out of my gas tank, and I realized I just made a grave error, and I filled up my tank with diesel fuel on accident. Yeah, it gets worse. I assessed the situation, and I thought to myself, well, how bad could it be? <laughs> gas is gas, right? You know, big trucks use diesel fuel. My truck's pretty big. It might like diesel fuel. It might run better on diesel fuel. And so against my better judgment, I started that baby up and I drove home and I made it about two miles. And that's when all hell broke loose. Oh my word, you guys. I have never seen a vehicle make noises like this before. Popping and hissing and cracking and knocking and smoke everywhere. It was like the movie The Exorcist and Twister kind of all wrapped up in one. <laughs> This was a scary situation. I finally get it to the repair shop. It spends three weeks in the shop. The final repair bill was twice what I paid for the truck. And it still wasn't right. It never ran well again. Eventually, I had to junk it for 500 bucks. I was crushed. So here's the moral of the story. And an answer to this question, what is addiction? Just like cars, Every single one of us eventually gets empty. Empty emotionally, relationally, physically, spiritually. All of, all of us experience it. Addictions form at the intersection of our pain and emptiness and our need for relief and fulfillment. I always like the way author and pastor Rich Villatis says this. He's got a great line that says, An addictive or compulsive behavior is one soul crying out, for reprieve and relief. Now, there are many natural and healthy ways to find reprieve and relief. We've, we've talked about a lot of them throughout this series. But it's when we choose to cope with our pain in unhealthy and unnatural ways, well, it, it's a lot like filling up our tanks with diesel fuel. You'll run for a little while, but it won't last long. And in the end, it won't be pretty. Especially if it happens more than once. 
I mean, think about how absurd it would be if I went and got a new truck and did the same thing again. And then got another truck after that and did it again. Right? Eventually, you would take away my wallet and my keys. Am I right? Well, in fact, one of the key indicators that someone might have a problem or might be on this road to addiction is when this substance or this behavior repeats itself and begins to progress over time. Maybe this will be helpful for you. Take a look at the five stages of addiction. On the one hand, on the far side, you've got abstinence. That's a complete avoidance of whatever that behavior or that substance may be. But then after that, you've got experimentation. This is where you just, just try it. Just kind of see. Maybe you're just curious. Maybe you do it every once in a while. Maybe only when that one friend is in town, right? You're just kind of dipping your toe in to see what it's like. But then we get into regular usage. This is when you decide you like it. This is fun. This is exciting. And it begins to become part of your normal routine, either once a month or once a week or once a, once a day even. Right? It's still relatively under control and moderation, but it's definitely becoming a part of who you are. And then we cross a major threshold into what we call high-risk usage. This is when you've been warned about consequences for doing this thing or engaging in this behavior. Maybe you've even felt the sting of doing this thing or engaging in this behavior, and you do it anyways. Right? This is where you begin lying about it or hiding it from other people. High-risk usage. From there, it devolves into what we call dependence or full-blown addiction. This is when you can't even conceive of going a day without this thing in your life. So the red alarms and the sirens start going off if we see someone starting to progress through all of these stages. So to summarize everything that we've talked about so far, what is addiction? Here's a textbook definition for you to consider. It says this, addiction is any obsessive compulsive behavior used to consciously or unconsciously provide fulfillment and contentment that is progressive and ultimately destructive in nature. Now, I know that's a mouthful. So here's how I want you to think about this for our time together. What is addiction? Addiction is this, how we cope, right? how we cope with our pain or our feelings of emptiness. How we cope is a slippery slope that if left unchecked, can steal our hope. How we cope is a slippery slope that if we don't pay attention, can eventually steal our hope. Now, there are a lot of misconceptions about addiction out there. Addiction is a very complex issue. People have been studying this thing for more than a century. And we're going to take a look at two misconceptions this morning. And the first one is a big one. First misconception about addiction is that addiction is limited to just drugs and alcohol. And it is true, substance abuse does make up a bulk of addictive behavior. But it's not limited to that. It's not exclusive. I've always liked the way our friends at Celebrate Recovery teach this. Celebrate Recovery teaches that every single one of us, all of us in here, everyone watching online, all my friends over in Pewaukee, any one of us can develop a hurt habit or hang-up in our lives. That's because, we, again, we all get empty, and we all choose something to fill up with. Anybody can come up with some kind of a hurt habit or hang-up that needs attention and could develop into an addiction. Now, the New Testament writers actually talked about this very thing. John is one of the New Testament authors, and he wrote a book, 1 John, where he talks about, he warns us to stay away from three things in regards to filling our tanks. Right? This is John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. We're going to put the words on the screen for you to follow along. It says this, do not love the world or anything in the world. Pause real quick. 
I was confused by that when I read that because aren't we supposed to love the world? As Christians, isn't that what we're called to do? The most famous verse in the world is for God so loved what? The world, right? Aren't we supposed to do that? Here's the difference. When it says God so loved the world, he's talking about the people in the world. John is talking about the things in the world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not him in him. Keyword there is love. This is when that thing becomes more than it was meant to be in our lives. This is when we elevate those things to become our source of fulfillment and contentment and peace. He warns us, don't love these things. And then he gives us three categories to avoid. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So let's dive into these three categories. What is John telling us to stay away from? The first thing he says is the lust of the flesh. What is that? That is physical pleasure. This is the category where drugs and alcohol certainly fit in. But again, we said it's not exclusive to that. Lots of things fit into this category. Sex fits in this category. Pornography fits in this category. Eating, gambling, anything that we can do that alters our state and triggers our brain to release pleasure chemicals can ultimately become habit-forming and, and devolve into an addiction, anything. Let me give you an example on this. Are there any sports fans in the room? If you are a sports fan, let me hear you make some noise. Sports fans. By far the best service this weekend. You guys are awesome. Did you know that in America, the pornography industry is bigger than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. As we all sit here this morning, there are 42 million pornographic websites on the internet. What I think is even more interesting is that today, psychologists and therapists, even non-Christian psychologists and therapists, have stopped using the language, look at pornography or watch pornography, and instead they use the phrase, use pornography. Why? It's because pornography is every bit as habit-forming as a narcotic. This is a major problem. Next category he talks about is the lust of the eyes. And this is, this is stuff. These are our possessions. This is the stuff that we fill our lives and our homes with. This is the appetite that says, you'll finally be happy. You'll finally feel, feel fulfilled if you just buy more stuff. It's the insatiable appetite for more. And what is the truth? Well, more stuff is just more to manage. I thought this was fascinating. Maybe you will too. When I was doing research for this message, did you know that in America, there are more self-storage facilities than there are McDonald's restaurants? <laughs> right? Americans, we will spend $38 billion this year just storing all the crap we can't fit in our homes into these storage facilities. Why? Well, because shopping and accumulating is habit-forming. It can become obsessive and compulsive and can become an addiction. How we cope is a slippery slope, right? Third category he talks about is pride, the pride of life. This is the attitude that wakes up every day and says, you know what? I'm just going to do what I want, when I want, where I want, with who I want, as much as I want, whenever I want. And we know that is a recipe for disaster. 
This is the attitude that says, I'm insisting on getting my own way, even at the expense of other people. And when we don't get our own way, we throw an adult temper tantrum. We pout. We isolate. And then we look for a way to medicate our pain. You can see why this is so dangerous, because this is the attitude that feeds the other two. And we've all heard this phrase before, pride comes just before a what? A fall. That's right. So John is warning us. He's telling us, hey, listen, fill your tanks, but don't fill your tank with pleasures or possessions or pride. Because they are all a cheap substitute for the love that comes from God and the fulfillment we have in him. Now, don't hear me wrong yet, okay? This doesn't mean if you have an Amazon Prime membership that you're all of a sudden an addict. That's not what I'm saying. He's saying just pay attention. Investigate. Ask yourself, is this more than it's supposed to be for me? Am I coping for something here? Right? What is this thing really for me? Because how we cope is a slippery slope. Right? So the first misconception about addiction is that addiction is limited to just drugs and alcohol. Not true. Second big misconception about addiction is that if you just remove the substance or the behavior that you break the addiction. This is the idea that if suddenly we figured out how to just erase every porn website on the internet, that instantly every porn user on the planet would be all better. Unfortunately, that's just not true. I wish it was. I wish it was that easy. It's not true because for every person who struggles with a compulsive behavior, the behavior itself is not the problem. It's a symptom of the problem. And the problem is almost always a much deeper issue. And the deeper issues that drive us toward addictive behaviors usually fall into one of two categories, scars and holes. And we all have them. A scar is the pain left behind by some kind of traumatic event. Maybe you experienced some traumatic event as a child or even an adult or some kind of abuse. Maybe, unfortunately, you were the victim of abuse, physical abuse, psychological abuse, verbal abuse, sexual abuse. One recovery leader cites that in his experience, more than 82% 82 of people, adults, who come into recovery confess to being sexually abused as a child. 82%. So our scars is one category, our holes is another. And a hole is just the pain left behind by some kind of loss or abandonment. This could be the loss of a loved one, the end of a relationship, a parent who was never there, Right, the loss of a lifestyle or a career, right, some kind of physical or tangible loss. But it's not exclusive to just physical or tangible. Right? This could just be the loss of our feeling of safety or security or stability. And we've all lost a little bit of that in the last couple of years, am I right? And so listen to this. Our scars and our holes are what create the pain and discontent that drive us toward pleasures and possessions and pride that can ultimately become addictions. So you're now beginning to see how recovery isn't just about stopping a behavior. It's about finally pulling the curtain back and getting healing from the root cause that lies underneath. For all the tech people in the room, this is like a whole new operating system for our brain. It teaches us to live life completely differently. And do you know what the number one most critical aspect of recovery is faith. Faith is the foundation 
for recovery. Because faith is what teaches us to love God and to trust God more than we love and trust our pleasures and our possessions and our pride. Because we begin to learn that a relationship with God is the only thing that truly lasts, the only thing that provides real peace and fulfillment and identity and joy. I've always loved the way St. Augustine put this. He was praying one day and he wrote this down and he said this great line that applies to all of us. He said, our hearts are restless until we find rest in him. And that is absolutely true. Now, before we go any further, we need to talk about the elephant in the room because I can already feel some tension. We said way back at the beginning that every single one of us probably knows someone who's got something that's getting a little out of hand. There's a high chance the person you're thinking about struggles with drinking. Because drinking is a problem in our state. And so, let's talk about it. A couple years ago, USA Today and the Wall Street Journal partnered together, and they published a report on what they called the drunkest cities in America. They sat down with the CDC to come up with some kind of objective uh, definition or, or measurement. What does it mean? What, what, what would we define as excessive drinking? What does excessive drinking look like? And they took this measurement and they ran data across the whole country and they pulled all these people and they ranked every city in America and then they published the top 20 drunkest cities in America. Wisconsin holds 10 of the top 20. And we hold all of the top five. This is not something we want to be proud of. This is a real problem. And if you or someone you love is being affected by this issue, I need you to hear me, you're not alone. The lie of addiction would tell you you're alone and you're the only one who struggles with it. That is a lie. You are not alone. And there is hope. And so I wanted you to hear from someone today, my good friend Jim Spellman. Jim and his wife Jill have been a part of River Glen for many years. We love them. We celebrate them. Jim has been down this road of addiction, specifically with alcohol. I wanted you to hear a bit of his story. Take a look at this. I grew up in a house that was normal. You know, just every, you know, mom and dad, they, they enjoyed themselves. Uh, alcohol was involved and, you know, fat, you fast forward and, you know, drinking what became a normal thing for underage. Drinking became normal for, for uh, when I became age. When it comes to alcohol, if you start drinking, and you you loot and you um, and you don't want to stop or you can't stop, and you lose count of your your the number of drinks. You know that that that's a problem. My dream, I gave up my dreams. You know, I, I had dreams of becoming a professional athlete. I had dreams of of succeeding in in school. I had, I had other dreams that just went to the wayside because drinking became the primary thing and everything evolved around that. You know, a couple of car accidents couple of lost jobs, you know, hard times, you know, just bottomed out a couple of times. And bottoming out means, you know, it's bad. You know, um, I pushed away all of my meaningful relationships. Um, I, 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 did, I had no drive to really do, you know, the, the person I had become was, was less, wasn't what I planned on, what I dreamed of, what I lived for. Um, I was, I was doing things that I was not proud of. I was with people I shouldn't have been with. So the, the, the last bottom was I was in an apartment in Chicago. 
I was hiding from my landlord that lived above me. Uh, I, I was three months behind in rent. Um, I just pawned my car off uh, for alcohol and drug money. Um, and I could not understand why my girlfriend was moving 2,000 miles away. I gave all of my life to alcohol and it, it got me nowhere. How we cope is a slippery slope that, if left unchecked, can look like that. So now that we know, hopefully have a good idea, what is addiction? What does it look like? Let's turn the page and get into some hope. What does recovery look like? The original 12-step recovery program was invented or written in 1935 by two men in a hospital who almost died because of their addictions. And although it originally was a program developed to give freedom from alcohol, these 12 steps have gone on to help millions of people find freedom from all different kinds of hurts, habits, and hang-ups. You Google 12-step recovery, you'll find groups from everything from quitting smoking to decluttering your house, and they're all based on the original 12 steps. But here is the best-kept secret in recovery. I'm not even supposed to be telling you this, right? If you look, these are not just recovery steps. These are discipleship steps which means these are helpful for any one of us who want to find a more deeper and meaningful relationship with God. Now, we don't have time to unpack all 12 this morning, so we're just going to introduce you to the first three. We're going to put the words up on the screen so you can follow along. Step number one says this. We admitted, and I'll pause right there. You'll notice the word we at the beginning. This is, a, this is collective language. Why? Because as Jim said, you heard in his story, addicts live in isolation. The moment you begin a journey into recovery, you join a community and you are never alone ever again. So you'll see the word we in all of these. Step number one, we admitted that we were powerless over blank, get to that in a second, and that our lives had become unmanageable. And you can put anything you want in that blank space. Drugs, alcohol, sex, anger, the approval of other people. Anything that causes pain or separates you from God goes in that blank space. And so the very first step to recovery, the first step is to just finally admit out loud that whatever it is you put in that space is a problem and that you need help. I've talked to so many families over the years, it's heartbreaking. Husbands and wives and mothers and fathers who say, hey, can you talk to my son? He's got a drinking problem. Will you, will you talk to my daughter? She's got a drug problem. And the first question I always ask is, does he know that? Does she know that? Are they ready to admit that they have a problem? Are they actually broken or are they just miserable? Because those are two very different things. And so the verse that goes along with this step, I think per per perfectly captures where our hearts are supposed to be when we take this step. It comes from Romans 7:18. It says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. So the first step to recovery, nothing happens until we finally wave the flag of surrender and say, I need help. And we finally admit the truth. And what is the truth? The truth is that our choices and our behaviors have made our lives unmanageable. Guess what unmanageable means? It means unmanageable. It means messy, painful, broken, 
crazy cycle over and over and over again. In Jim's story, he talks about he had 15 car accidents and lost nine jobs on his way to recovery. Guess what we call that? Unmanageable. In my story, the last night I drank alcohol, I got arrested for drunk driving. Guess what sitting alone in a jail cell in Los Angeles looks like? Unmanageable. And so step number one is just looking at objective reality and finally admitting that our choices and behaviors have turned our lives into a mess. Next step is believing that no matter how awful that mess is, that there is something greater than our pain that can actually help. Step two says that we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. This is incredibly significant because to an addict, the two most important things in an addict's life are their pain and whatever they do to medicate that pain. Nothing is more important than those two things. So to actually begin to, to conceive or believe that there is something out there greater than our pain and our problems that can help is nothing short of a miracle. The verse that goes along with this one comes from Philippians, and it says, For it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. The idea that something good lives in me, that my life could actually be for a good purpose, is huge. This is the step in someone's journey when they begin to feel something that they haven't felt in many, many years. Some of them have never felt this in their whole life. Hope. Step two is the hope step which leads us right into step number three. And step three is by far the most significant step of the entire collection. Step three says we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. To quote the great theologian, Carrie Underwood, this is when we literally say, Jesus, take the wheel. Because <laughs> I can't do it anymore, right? This is the step that forms the foundation for every step that follows and ultimately becomes the bedrock of our new lives. The verse that goes along with this one, you've probably heard this one before, Romans 12, it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. If anyone struggles with their recovery journey, it's almost always because they failed to complete this step authentically or to follow through with it. Now, here's the key, though, the key that unlocks this step for every single one of us and everybody watching, because that's a big step, right? Here's the, the key that makes it possible. It's the last phrase when it says we turn our will and our lives over to the care of God, what? As we understood him. Do you know what that means? That means you and I, we have permission to start with God wherever we are. That's why River Glen is a come-as-you-are kind of church. Around here... You don't got to be more than you're being or do more than you're doing or know more than you know. You can start a faith journey right here, right now, right where you are. This is the step for anybody that's as simple as just saying, God, I don't know much about you, but I believe you're there. And I believe you love me. And so you're in control from now on. The rest of the recovery journey is every bit as profound as those first three steps. But the number one thing I want you to hear is that there's hope for everybody. You know, when I, when I filled my truck up with the wrong gas, right, that was a lost cause. It was beyond repair. But I wasn't. 
and you're not. And anyone you love who is struggling with addiction is not hopeless either. So I wanted you to hear from Jim one more time, only this time on the other side of recovery. Take a look at this. When people say you're, you're an alcoholic, that did, that did something to my inside. And when, when I said I was an alcoholic, there was a big turning point for me. Because it, I can't, the, the, the connotation or the word alcoholic is, uh, carries a lot of guilt and shame. So I was a sick person, and, and there's a point at which I wanted to get better. So I had to grow away from that. I had to accept who and what I was. I had to accept um, the, 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 the term alcoholic and, and now look at it as, as a path of, that was a starting point. Let's move on from there. So when you wave the red towel and you stop fighting, and then you, 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 you can, and that you, you have that honesty, or you're willing to accept the honesty, that's when change can happen, when you can start to heal. That's when you can start to forgive yourself for those things that, you know, the life that I live. I mean, I smile uh, because I'll, I'll, I never planned on staying again. I was gonna, I, fourth time around, I was going to, I was gonna um, do it again. I was gonna get people off my back. I was gonna learn how to drink and use without the consequences. And I was gonna figure it out. And it did not you were happen. You gonna be the one. I was gonna be the one. <laughs> Finally, <figured it> out. <laughs> and um, and thank you know God God thank God, 29 and a half years later, and my life has completely changed. I found I found a life. I have a life. I have a chance at a good life uh, through the through recovery through through the church through an, an awesome awesome wife network of friends children. I never planned it. I was. I was gonna take another turn. I was gonna give it another shot, and I'm so glad I didn't. By God's grace, Jim will celebrate 30 years clean and sober this year. Yeah, incredible. If you're interested, his whole story is available on our website and on our YouTube channel. The whole interview is about 30 minutes long, and he goes into much more detail than we were able to cover here. So I encourage you to take a look at that. Hey, if anything that we talked about this morning has resonated with you at any level, I want to encourage you to just take two steps as we finish today and we walk out of this place. First step is just identify. Is there something in your life? What is a hurt or a habit or a hang-up in your life that might need attention? What is something that might be getting a little out of hand or becoming more than it was intended to be? Where might you be on those steps or those stages of addiction? If you're not sure that whatever it is you're thinking about is, is really a problem, consider fasting from it for a week. Just see what happens. Which brings me to my second step, and that is to just invite. Invite someone in to help you on this journey. As you explore, as you ask questions, don't do it by yourself. The key to recovery is community. Don't do it alone. There's a couple ways you can do that. You can find a counselor. We've got a whole list of counselors at the Connect Wall or on our website. These have all been vetted by River Glen. We strongly recommend them. Or this could just be as simple, you guys, as stopping by here on a Monday night and checking out our Celebrate Recovery ministry. Celebrate Recovery is a Christ-centered 12-step recovery program for anybody with a hurt, habit, or hang-up that you just want a little help with. And it could just be exploring what it looks like. It could be asking for help and going through the steps or anything in between. 
Our Celebrate Recovery Ministry meets every Monday, 52 Mondays a year. They're meeting tomorrow night at 6.30 in our student center. All of our CR uh, leaders know that we're talking about this today, and they know that you've all been invited. (laughs) So there are plenty of seats if you want to just come check it out. With all that said, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for me. And we're going to pray for anyone and everyone we know who might be struggling with this thing called addiction. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are a good, good God. We thank you that you love us. God, we thank you that you let us give you control of the wheel. We thank you, God, that you are incredible at taking the messes that we make out of our lives and turning it into something beautiful, giving us something good, giving us a purpose again. So, God, it's in that recognition of your power and your grace and your love that we pray boldly, God. We pray, we pray as a church full of people, and we pray as people who are part of families that have endured pain. We pray, God, for the chains of addiction to be broken once and for all, for freedom to finally be experienced in the lives of your children. Whatever the addiction may be, God, we pray for your power to be evident. And God, we know that your power is greater than even the greatest addiction. So we pray that that power would break those addictions. We pray that people would finally begin to taste and see that you are good. And you are the source of peace and fulfillment and contentment and identity. I pray for that, God. Pray for all those who are hurting. Pray for the families of those who are hurting. We pray, God, that we would all begin to feel your spirit and believe in hope once again. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.